Howdy, friends. Welcome, welcome to the show. It's Felix, and now they're gonna blow your mind with some words that are beyond the time and space where you find yourself today. Thanks for joining us on this ride. It's episode one out of 109, at least, maybe more. Hopefully, many, many more than that. Oh, yeah. And we are recording. Woohoo! Hello. Hello. Hi, Felix. <laughs> Podcast number one. Number one, number zero. Zero, yeah. This is the beginning of a beginning. It is. It is the beginning of all beginnings. We've entered the void. Yeah. Well, we've been talking about this for a long time. Mm -hmm. We kind of did one in the jungle. We did like seven episodes. But we don't know where they are. They're on the line. They are? Yeah. But they're somebody else's. Yeah, they're not now. They don't belong to us anymore. They don't belong to no. us. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> we got kicked out of the, the, the band. So. Yeah. <laughs> Two thirds of the band were released from the band. <laughs> All right. That's okay. Well, we've got this now and some years have passed. So cool. So what's your name again? My name is Felix. Felix. What about you? My name is Al. Yeah. Or Al. Alan. Depends yeah. who you are. I'll probably call you Alan. All right. Cool. That works. <laughs> that's how you know me. Um, cool. Well, uh, so why are we doing this? Hmm. Well, before we actually started recording, we were having smaller conversations about this grander project. And I really like what you brought to the table as far as bringing light into the world. Um, I think it's, we're in a very strange time being that it's 2020. We're stuck in a pandemic freak out. Um, and a lot of us are trapped. Um, and it spoke so deeply because I actually smoked DMT. And the first thing I heard was bring more light into the world. Hmm. And it kept repeating and repeating and repeating. So it was really interesting that you said that. I really like, yeah. Cool. So I, I resonated very deeply with that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks. I'm glad that, yeah. That, when did you smoke DMT? Uh, it's like a month ago. Oh, cool. Somebody just gave me a little canister of chaga or chunga. Uh-huh. I can't remember what it's called. Uh-huh. And I just smoked a very small amount, which had very potent effects. Um, And it just brought me into this very deep meditative state. But I just, I was still hearing things. And it was like, bring light, Mm. bring light, bring more light, bring more Mm. happiness. Yeah. It's time to break out the old jokes. It's time to dust (laughs) our old acts off, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah. So I just, that it touched me in a deep way when you said that, because it's like, I've been asking myself that every day during quarantine. It's like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. What am I doing to actually help? Mm-hmm. I'm, I feel like I'm harming more things because I'm being lazy and eating cookies and smoking apachos. But, um, but those things are fuel for you to bring light. Hey, I like that. <laughs> I'm going to use that for now. Yeah. <laughs> this is my fuel for light. Yeah, you can justify anything. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Uh, yeah, I mean... I'm glad that bringing light resonates. I mean, that's just something that when I go, you know, when I go through media, check the news, or even a lot of podcasts, um, I just always feel like there's something missing. Like we're only getting 
not all podcasts. There are some amazing no. light-filled podcasts yeah, that yeah. inspire me. Uh, but a lot of media, specifically in news, I just feel like we're only getting one side of the story, which is just fear and darkness, and, and not just in this time of pandemic, but in general. Mm-hmm. And I first came to podcasts, just, you know, I've been listening to podcasts for like 10 years now, and I'm always been looking for podcasts to, yeah, I'm, bring light and laughter to my day, essentially. I don't need more negative fear-based shit in my life. So it's kind of been like a therapy for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, like we, we talked about earlier, uh, I, ha- I haven't quite found the podcast that I really want. So I figured, why not make it? And so, yeah, but ultimately, yeah, it's a primary intention of uh, bringing insight, laughter, light to people's day, essentially. Mm. And I consider the audience like us, me, you. I think there are many me's and you's out there in the world. Agreed. And so... Not in an egoic standpoint. No. (laughs) (laughs) And we don't have a bunch of illegitimate children running around either. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Well, maybe that one time. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. uh, But, yeah, primary intention of just sharing and, again, like you said, like bringing light. Like, Mm. I also want to do something to contribute to the world and to bringing that to the equation Mm. more. I think that's... You know, if I want to uh, give a story to my purpose for living, you know, I think it's my purpose is to hopefully bring light to myself and others. So, Amen, brother. And if we all live that purpose, then it would be a pretty sweet world, I think. Absolutely. But I also want to clarify, too, is it's not necessarily that we won't go to dark places. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just the nature of light to actually have to go through the dark to get there. So it's like I don't want to limit a, our expression by saying, "Oh no, this is just me happy light, and love, and light, love and light, love and light." Yeah, Yay. it's all love and light, which we hear so often here in in the valley. We're actually from well, we live here in Peru in the Sacred Valley, and um, there's a lot of ungrounded um, ideas about spirituality and this this kind of overarching belief that everything is love and light, and ultimately on the greatest grandest scheme sure but we don't live in that realm and i think because we're here in this 3d world we actually have to go through those dark and light to get to these these beautiful places it's Mm -hmm. not i still want to bring you there i mean we we still want to go there Mm -hmm. but there's places i mean there's darkness too Mm -hmm. that's not we're not going to depress you i promise we're not (laughs) but we are going to acknowledge uh all facets of our experience agreed yeah so what what brought you, you know, who are you? Where did you come from? <laughs> what, what is your... I was going to ask who's you that. Alan? Uh, okay. Well, Alan is... Uh, uh, I'm not going to speak in the third person. I... <laughs> <laughs> you can't be even funnier. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it would get old if I, for the next 20 minutes, speak of this other guy. Yeah. Uh, well, I, for the... I guess I'll speak in the context of how we know each other and how I, mm. that came to be. But uh, I'm Alan. I've. That's all right. That's a mic mishap. Sorry if that exploded. It's day one. Day, day one. one. Yeah, we're still figuring out how to 
we have these our microphones piled on big thick books they're being balanced it's kind of a balancing act i apologize yeah yeah felix and his partner are uh clearly uh book aficionados they have really big thick nice books uh so yeah uh i've been in peru for six years now wow six years crazy to think about huh? yeah crazy to think about and my journey to Peru uh, in 2014 was initiated by uh, a yearning, a searching for healing, for uh, depression, essentially. That was the main theme of my adult life up until that point and beyond that point. Uh, and I had tried, I thought I had tried pretty much everything available in terms of therapy and antidepressants and retreats, yoga, meditation, all kinds of things. And, uh, and yet I was still quite depressed and was having a hard time finding any way out of it and was losing hope. And I had heard about ayahuasca, uh, through podcasts actually. And I signed up to go to an ayahuasca retreat in the jungle, a retreat center that was recommended in podcasts, uh, called temple of the way of light. And that was, uh, that was in October of 2014. So I guess five and a half years ago and did a 28 day retreat there. And that's where I met you. The deep immersion. Yeah. yeah you were already, you'd already been there a few months, <laughs> but uh, I met you at that time. And that, that single retreat, uh, opened up something for me. I, I had very profound experiences in the ayahuasca ceremonies. It certainly didn't just miraculously heal me. Mm. Uh, but it opened up a possibility for me to experience healing. And I had glimpses of what it would be like to feel connected and clear and peace and joy and connection with people. And yeah, ayahuasca was really, has been a really powerful medicine in my life. And so after that retreat, uh, I didn't really have any plans for my life. I mean, before that, there's a, there's many stories, but uh, what led me to that retreat is I was super, very, very deeply depressed, uh, and I was living in Los Angeles. I had moved there from New York, and uh, I'd been in Los Angeles a few months, and I just got more and more depressed. Uh, I was driving Ubers around L.A., in existential. You were driving Uber. Yeah, that's the only work I could find. No way. Yeah. So I drove Uber for a few months and got more and more depressed. And I had friends around, really good friends, which were the reason I'd moved to Los Angeles. But I found myself isolating from them. And one day I hit kind of a rock bottom in my life. Uh, I made an ultimatum with myself. <laughs> my ultimatum was I'm going to, uh, go to the ATM, take out all my money, which was not much at all, and drive to Las Vegas. And I'm going to gamble it, and either I'm going to get rich or I'm going to lose it all and I'm going to kill myself. That was my wow. ultim <clears throat> ultimatum. It's a powerful ultimatum. It is. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe I would have actually followed through with it. But nonetheless, I was in such a desperate, depressed state that that's what I was telling myself. Mm -hmm. So I got <clears throat> I got in the car with my money, and I started the drive from L.A. to Las Vegas, and it was nighttime, it was maybe 10 p.m. I'm about halfway there in the middle of the desert. It's a long desert drive. 
And uh, halfway there, I decided I need a break from driving, so I pulled off the freeway the, and uh, drove off onto this dirt road, like maybe a mile away from the freeway into the desert. It's a dirt wow. road in the middle of nowhere. And I stopped the car, and and uh, I had some some weed with me, some cannabis, and I took it out, and I lit this joint, and I got on the roof of my car, and I just laid there and smoked it. And I just started to ponder, like, my life, you know. <laughs> One of those moments where I was, like, seeing myself from, like, a, a third-person view. Like, there's a guy is telling himself he's going to go to Vegas and either win a bunch of money or kill himself. And his track record in Vegas is terrible. I've, <laughs> I've been to Vegas, like, ten times. No shit. And I've, in my life, yeah. Wow. With friends, with my dad once. And I've never won money. I would go and gamble, black, play blackjack, maybe win a little bit to get my hopes up. I feel like it was all by design. Like some puppet master was making me get my hopes up and then I would lose that money that I just won, but I still had my hopes up that I could win and I would lose and then I'd go into this pit and They're I'd, designed that I'd way. try to <laughs> dig myself out. But I would always be surrounded by friends who'd be winning thousands of dollars. Or oh, my dad, yeah. And so I, I have this curse with Las Vegas. And Las Vegas is also where my mother died uh, when I was when I was four years old. My mom went to Vegas uh, for a work trip, and she died uh, because of mixing alcohol and medications and well, I had and drugs. no idea. Yeah, that's where she died. Wow. So I, part of my ultimatum, I think it was like, I don't know. It's just trying to be very dramatic, you know. It's and my mom's death. I mean, that plays into my whole story of trauma and depression, but. Anyway, I'm laying on top of this car and smoking that joint and observing myself from the third person and, uh, yeah, kind of seeing how kind of ridiculous it was in a way and, uh, and laying there and just realizing, okay, going to Las Vegas and spending my money gambling, it really isn't the answer. It's, and, and in that moment, of questioning, well, what can I do? Uh, the thought, ayahuasca, just like popped into my head. And like, I, I don't know where, had you heard about yes, ayahuasca? Yes, I had heard about this? ayahuasca. Okay. Um, it's something that I'd heard about probably for 10 years. In fact, the first time I heard about ayahuasca, this is a side story, uh, was so this is 2014, this story in the desert. Uh, first time I heard about ayahuasca was in probably 2001 because uh, a couple years ago I was at my dad's house going through old boxes of mine and I found a college notebook from when I was at University of Colorado and I took this class called Amazonian Tribal Peoples. No way. And I and swear to God, I, I found the notebook. I was like, oh, this, I remember this class. It was actually a really interesting class because I majored in business finance and now that shit was boring to me. But I opened this <laughs> notebook to a random page and it was the page about ayahuasca like oh my our God. teacher had just briefly mentioned ayahuasca yeah uh um as something that some tribe was using wow and uh there was just a little paragraph about it that was hilarious. the seed yeah the, that was actually the original seed wow and then actually around that same time 2001 i'm actually maybe 2000 i went to a psychiatrist because i was depressed and i and i self-diagnosed with ADD. And so I went to a psychiatrist cause I wanted some Ritalin <laughs> and uh, I went to him and, uh, he'd run some tests. He's like, yeah, all right, I'll give you the Ritalin. Uh, 
And he's like, and by the way, have you ever heard, heard of Iboga? Oh, wow. And Iboga, and I was like, no. And he's like, oh, it's this African psychedelic. It's supposed to be really amazing. Anyway, that was it. And he wrote the prescription. Iboga is another story. Wow. This, but like this, these seeds that were planted. It's it's amazing to, to hear this story and just <laughs> see all these threads that have weaved into the current owl, which is like, <laughs> it's incredible. Like, uh, I'm sorry to chime in, but it's just, it's incredible. Wow. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah. I can't wait to hear your story too. Um, so anyway, seeds planted. But yeah, fast forward 2014, the thought ayahuasca pops into my mind. Now over the past, you know, a few years when I you know, reflect on that moment. You know, some people would say, oh, that was, you know, ayahuasca, the spirit of ayahuasca coming to you and telling you. Others would say, no, you already knew about ayahuasca because I had heard about it. I'd heard about it in podcasts. Uh, You'd already heard about it. It was just a thought that, you know. Uh, But nonetheless, it, it came to me and it was very poignant. It was very just like, it was ayahuasca can help you or it might've been ayahuasca, I can help you. It was just a very clear and, my whole body, I remember when I heard that thought, my whole body said yes, and I felt an immediate relief. Wow. And I basically just finished the joint, got back in the car, and had, without second thoughts, drove straight back to L.A. Wow. And um, Must have been some good shit. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, legal California weed. Yeah. And so, yeah, I drove back, and basically the next day, I just started researching where to go. I didn't have any money, uh, very little money, and so... Uh, I enrolled my sister to help me and she helped me. She lent me the money to uh, this about eight weeks later, head to the first open retreat at the Temple of the Way of Light and to ayahuasca. So anyway, uh, so that, that, and that retreat opened up so much for me and I ended up staying there uh, doing like a work exchange program after my retreat and then into 2015 i realized hey i really want to be there and i don't have anything really going on in my life in the states so i you know inquired about staying on i really wanted to be a facilitator of these retreats i thought the facilitators were so cool and what a life (laughs) living in the jungle drinking ayahuasca and uh, there happened to be a need and they happened to feel that it would be a fit and so then i spent uh, a good three months drinking ayahuasca probably about 15 to 20, 20, more like 20 times a month for three months straight, shadowing facilitators retreats. And eventually I was thrust into the role of facilitator before being really, truly deeply ready. But anyway, I learned a lot in those first months. Well, it definitely emerged out of you too. Like I know just watching through your own personal journey and then seeing you go into facilitation, like facilitators who'd been facilitating for years and years were like, man, Al's got mad skills no really yeah. thanks man no it's amazing like, i mean it's just who you are you radiate that you you have so much wisdom from what you've uh-huh. gone through and to bring that forward into your to your work with facilitation was was amazing for people who you know who are doing this for years and years i'm like man al's the man i like working with al because uh-huh. he makes you laugh too you know he's really good at that <laughs> but he's very good at working with people well thanks man i appreciate hearing that That's, yeah because those first months of that journey were just i mean journey of my life even now at times is a journey of like self-doubt and self-criticism and am i worthy am i doing anything am i you know so uh that's nice to hear and uh and you know in that time facilitating over several years i immersed myself into plant medicines and a path with tobacco medicine which you could talk about another time too and um 
yeah, eventually met my wife. She came to teach yoga at the temple, and uh, and we quite quickly got married. And uh, soon after that, uh, not too long after that, moved here to the Andes because jungle living is hard. Very hard. And uh, yeah. living at a retreat center is hard. It was hard for me, at least, uh, living there full time. So relocated here and have continued this journey with plant medicines, living in Peru and so much more. I'm sure that will come out as we go on this podcast journey, but yeah, I mean, this is just the introduction introduction. Yeah. You're, you're seeing the surface of a, of much deeper pool (laughs) while hearing the surface of a much deeper pool. Yeah. Seeing with your mind's eye. Uh, and so how that plays into this podcast, you know, my intention is to bring really, I mean, it's personal. So, uh, to bring aspects of my own journey, what I've learned along the way, uh, you know, I've, I've definitely had a lot of trial and error when it comes to, uh, working with depression and what it is and where it comes from and how I deal with it. And so sharing about that and, uh, you know, plants bring a lot of light uh, that's pretty much what they are <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And by light, I mean just pure love and, uh, awareness and they shine a light on all aspects of ourselves. And so to just be able to bring that, uh, and share that, I think that's, you know, if the plants were people, that's what they would want to. I think they're, they're all about sharing. So I mean, Al, you're, you're, pretty much 99% plant <laughs> you've, over the years you've, you've ingested so many different plants and you're 99% tobacco and <laughs> I'm just one big salad so are you yeah we're, we're salad we're a people. couple of salads here we could, that's what we could, we're still trying to figure out the name of the podcast a couple Co- of salads couple <laughs> two bowls of salad so all right Felix well I've talked a lot about myself and now I I want to talk, I want to know from you. Yeah. So who are you and how did you get here? Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, I, I just want to say to you, Al, is like, it was actually really beautiful to hear more of your story. I mean, we've shared parts of our stories throughout our, our time, but this is like, I don't know what an incredible medium to be so open and to share a deeper part of you too. So I, I thank you for that. Um, thank you, Felix. Yeah, man. Love you, man. I love you too. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll try not. Okay. You can blush on since no one can see you. Yeah, we're both we're both red as super beats. blushing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So where did my? How did I get here? Yeah. How did you get to? What led you to Peru? Hmm. Well. In 2007 or 2008, I can't remember which year, I took mushrooms for the first time ever. Now, I was born and raised Mormon, so I lived in a very strict household, a very strict mindset. Uh, Any kind of illicit drugs were the devil. And uh, what led me into mushrooms was actually marijuana, thank God. Um, But I had this mushroom experience, and we we took it at my friend's house in his mother's garage, and it was 420. And they're all sitting in and they're watching cartoons or playing Mario Kart. And it just, something didn't feel right. Like I could feel an urging from this, this mushroom that I took, which I thought was very strange. So I go outside 
into their backyard and I'm sitting in one of their lawn chairs and I look up at the top of the trees and they turn into fractals and I hear, you need to go to Peru and you need to drink ayahuasca. Whoa. So clear. Hmm. And it was the strangest experience because first of all, Peru's not on my mat other uh, map other than it being the Amazon. I loved the Amazon as a kid. I used to have books on Amazon uh-huh. animals and plants and um so I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. And then this word ayahuasca, I'm like, okay, that makes no sense. So I go home and I'm like, okay, maybe there's something to these weird mushroom thingies that made me see fractals and, you know, said these weird words. So I typed in Google ayahuasca. I spelled it probably like ayachusca or something weird. So you hadn't heard of it before? No. Wow. That was my first, my first psychedelic ever was mushrooms. And I yeah. was so blown away by what it was. Yeah. It was a fun experience, but it was just so strange. It was so strange that it could talk to you. And it, uh, anyways, yeah. so, so I look it up and the first thing that shows up is the temple, the way of light. And during this period of time, I was in a long-term relationship. We had a house together, like eight different animals with this person, not kids. We had animals. Oh, we had a zoo. And we had a zoo in our house. Well, our, one of our cats had eight kittens, and wow. so it was, it was a bit hectic. Um, and I knew I couldn't go. This was so far beyond her. She was also very uh, so-called straight edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2008 as well, I also contracted Lyme's disease. Mm. And so Lyme's disease started to tear apart my mind. It started to tear apart my body. Uh, to the point where I actually thought I was losing my mind. Um, And so the biggest thing that helped with that was the marijuana, and then the marijuana led to the mushrooms, and then the mushrooms led to me looking up ayahuasca online. Multiple gateways. So many gateways. (laughs) They are right when they say that, you know, marijuana is a gateway drug because it brings you to really cool things. Um, So, again, yeah, I found it. I found the Temple of the Way of of light online it was the first uh, center that came up for ayahuasca and it just seemed really beautiful there was beautiful pictures of the maestros you could see the jungle um but i just knew i couldn't go there and i actually was split between two different decisions i had i've been saving up some money and i was going to either go to the monroe institute which uh robert a monroe wrote a book called journeys out of body and it, the Monroe Institute basically taught you how to astral project. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, I got to do that. That's super cool. And then there was ayahuasca. Um, so the years go by, and eventually my partner and I break up. And I remember falling back on the bed crying because I was so devastated. And again, I heard a voice that said, but now you're free to go. So you hadn't gone because the relationship? Because the relationship. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she was so adverse to drugs in any, and I don't like using drugs, the word drugs around but psychedelics. But that's what she called them. But that's yeah. what she called them. Yeah. And so yeah, I I was free. And uh, so then in 2013, in July of 2013, I went down to Peru and I drank ayahuasca. And my first ceremony was completely terrifying, which we can talk about another day. Was this at Temple of the Way of Light? It was horrible yeah it was terrifying Uh my second one was the most beautiful experience i've ever had my entire life that's ayahuasca for you it's just so you know it's such a personality and then i realized like 
you know, everything I had back home was beautiful, but it wasn't what I was looking for. Where I was was what I was looking for. Whether I knew it or not, it was. And I won't go too deep into that, but it led me into, you know, apprenticing. It led me into dieting. It led me into working with more, with the plants, with the Shipibo. Um, yeah, and so I worked at the temple for almost four years. So you went in 2013 and then you went home and came back again? Yeah, right away. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh-huh. I basically, like, just sold everything. I just dropped everything. It was like, I can't, I'm not working at my bar anymore. I'm not working. I worked at a bar, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we both did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, I was done. Yeah. And usually when I have such a sensation like that, very similar to yours where you have almost like this full body. Yes. I just went with it. And I went and I asked uh, Deanna and I was like, Deanna, you know, I'd, I'd like to stay. Deanna was a facilitator. Yeah. yeah. And she says, uh, yeah, that's possible. And then I stayed. Wow. And I was there ever since. Um, well, not ever since. <laughs> um, I was there for four years. Like Alan, we were drinking tons of medicine, I think, about 20 times a month. Um, and eventually I left the temple, you know, uh, more to dive deeply into this work. I went to Pucallpa, spent a lot of time in Pucallpa here in Peru. And then eventually I was like, oh, I can't really live in the jungle, so we'll move to the mountains. What were you doing in Pucallpa? We were dieting. Yeah. So I went to Pucallpa to diet. Basically, I won't go too deep into this because this could open up a whole can of worms. Yeah. But uh, Which we'll get to eventually. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> but dieting is cool. It's very cool. It's very challenging. Um, but I spent a long time in the jungle fasting and basically sacrificing my body, my mind, and my spirit to learn, um, to learn about ayahuasca. And sacrificing the, your body, mind, and spirit. Wow. I like that. I never heard it put that way. That's what we do. It's basically what it is, huh? Give it all up. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And in this, in this process, you know, I have met my partner, uh, we found a beautiful home here in Moran in the Valley. It's like the plants, like Alan said, they do love you. They're full of light. They want you to live the best life you can. And so they constantly show you that by giving that to you. And it's you doing it for yourself, of course. Like you're going to manifest whatever you can. But, you know, here it's it's like we live in paradise. I hope I hope we can put pictures with these podcasts to like share, you know, how beautiful it is to live here and mm-hmm. um, to be a part of community. That's a very short Reader's Digest version of my yeah <laughs> my introduction into this world it's just i think for both of us there's so many tangents that we could go on in all these different steps yeah. into where we are now yeah i mean when you said that that's a whole can of worms like even talking about dieting like there's so many cans of worms that you can open up just about your journey and it's actually giving there's so much we can talk about which there's is so awesome. much i know <laughs> there's a lot of content in here totally totally yeah. and that even just stems from our yeah, it's just all these progressions that we've had, these bardos that we've walked through, these places mm-hmm. of extreme depression or anxiety or whatever it was mm-hmm. to get where we are. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think people really understand the challenges of what we have to face to get through to a really beautiful life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's our can of worms, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. So would you say your life is now pretty beautiful? 
you know, it's funny. I, I often walk out in front of my house and I, I look around and I think about just this whole neighborhood where we live. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I couldn't have dreamt of better. Mm-hmm. I never could have. Mm-hmm. Like the, all these terrible steps I've had in between, not terrible, but challenging hard, Yeah, you know, um, to get where I am now. Like, I'm just, I'm just happy. Yeah. Like just solidly happy. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to have great friends all around you, to have yeah. amazing food, to live in a beautiful, relatively free place, which is another can of worms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We couldn't have asked for better. Mm-hmm. Totally. We're blessed. Absolutely, man. Yeah. I, I, sometimes I have to remind myself like how beautiful my life is here uh with my wife uh and it's like i still go through moments where i i might get a little down or i'll just forget to appreciate things and that's natural Uh, but it's it's easy to come back to appreciation when yeah i can walk out the door and within five minute walk i've got a whole crew of friends and people that you know yeah it's our community here and yeah. In our little village here in Peru. Yeah, we got a little rebel alliance. Yeah. <laughs> we have a jujitsu squad we've formed. Oh, well, we do. You don't want to mess with this neighborhood. We can, That's another can of worms, jujitsu. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and then we can just, you know, looking up at this mountain, there's a Oof. massive mountain that, I mean, we're, we're in a valley. It's a sacred valley. And uh, just uh, on one side of this valley is this huge, huge range of snow-capped mountains, 18 to 20,000 foot mountain peaks, stunning stunning mountains. Yeah. And there's this one mountain, this right above us called Pitu Sirai. I mean, it's basically, it's really the bottom of a huge glacial peak, but uh, the bottom that we can see from our perspective is just this huge cliff rock formation that looks different. Every day I look at it, it looks different depending on the light and the shadow and the clouds it's, that it's are going incredible. by. It's always changing. It's, it's never the know? same thing. Yeah. But it's like, it's there. It's so solid. And like it, when I'm not here, when I'm traveling, I'll dream about it. I'll think about it. Like that, this mountain really holds it down here. Yeah. It does. I still remember when you held your first ceremony here in Bernard's place or our neighbor's place. Um, I remember looking up at it and just seeing this like ancient fortress of like infinite beauty and just, wow. Yeah. Which is, that's actually what sold us on living here. Oh yeah. Was that ceremony where oh, we're like, cool. oh, wow. Okay. This place is heaven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, drinking plants and then looking at the view makes it even better. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean the plants definitely like highlight <laughs> the beauty in things, you know, they really bring yeah. it out. So yeah. Awesome, man. Well, that's a nice very brief introduction and yeah. I mean treat like there's so much I want to ask you oh my you know, about like your work because yeah. we hang out a lot but we I think because we're just so familiar with each other like there there's things that I've never really asked you you know about yeah. the work you do with ayahuasca and your path and getting there and just like your own outlook and your view through the lens of ayahuasca and you know I'm sure you if you if you'll want to you can share about this at some point but you know, you, you've trained, uh, in the Shipibo tradition of ayahuasca and like an indigenous tradition and to, and you've gone so deep with it and to, I think it's a, it's a gift to be able to talk to someone who comes from my background, my culture, Western culture, 
who's dove in deep into an indigenous shamanic tradition, mm-hmm. if that's or plant medicine tradition. Uh, and so to hear you share about it through a language that I can understand and through a paradigm that I can understand, like a bridge, you know, and it's kind of like the work we did as facilitators at the temple is yeah. like attempting uh, to bridge uh, the work of the healers, the Shipibo Ayahuasqueros, uh, to bridge that work for the guests that were coming for whom this was such a foreign and mind-blowing experience. And they always often had a million questions, as I did when I first came. And a lot of those questions aren't even answerable. But to be able to bridge that, and I, I think that it can totally be bridged. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, another intention for this podcast, at least from my perspective, is to bridge some of that knowledge. Uh, and not necessarily knowledge is given by someone else, but knowledge received just through plants mm-hmm. uh, into a Western mind and Western paradigm. Because I think our world, where we come from, the USA or Europe, the Western world, quote unquote, uh, I think it's missing that now. It's gone so... Well, people are reaching out for it more. The people, people. Yeah. I mean, you can tell before the pandemic and hopefully again one day, people are, are coming here really looking for that because it's mm-hmm. legal here. Mm-hmm. And this is where, you know, all these plants like ayahuasca and uh, wachuma and tobacco, I mean, they, they're naturally from here. Mm-hmm. And so there's a thirst for it mm-hmm. because... and. These traditions existed in North America. They existed in Europe and through various, uh, you know, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? They they were crushed. They were eliminated by... um, Well, they were demonized. Demonized, Especially by the church. Yeah, Yeah. by churches, by migrations. um, Which is actually still happening to this day. Sure. You know, in in the Shabibo villages, like, you know, Sui's, my teacher's, sister basically calls him a demon oh wow every single day really yeah wow she's very, she, she's, she's very religious very like, very yeah. christian like evangelical kind of christian super yeah. christian yeah 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 and oh, not and this has nothing to do with whether christianity is bad or you know psychedelics are bad or whatever it's just when jesus says love everyone you should love everyone <laughs> there's a whole nother can of worms there's another can of worms there's many cans of worms. I'm writing down all these cans of worms for future. But it's interesting how we've, as as Westerners, have already kind of gone through that cycle of having a shamanic tradition, having a tradition of taking mind-expanding plants and it being crushed by religion, and that's just starting here more and more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interestingly, like, I meet more... I've met so many Peruvians that mm-hmm. don't even know what ayahuasca is. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, just in traveling in Peru and Lima or even here in the mountains. Like, wow. Uh, when it's actually like, I think it's a protected national heritage. I mean, it it's, is, yeah. it's respected and protected. Uh, but a lot of people either don't know what it is or they're afraid of it. Um, so, and you know, some of that fear is just a respect that they mm-hmm. have. And, and, and a lot of them, a lot of people don't feel called to it and don't need it. So that's, it's not about that, but no. it definitely some, for some people, they have an, an idea about it, what it is when it's not that, you know, yeah. based on their own fears and yeah. But I hope I can even reflect on you as well, because Al, you've trained under another tradition as well mm-hmm. and explored other medicines, which I am not familiar with. Mm-hmm. Like I would love to pick your brain more on the world of tobacco, mm-hmm. which is a very good friend of ours. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but even more so for you, you've gone into it in such a deep, profound way. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to, to hear more about that, but I know that we have so many ideas. We've, we've become a volcano. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, like an hour before I came over to record this, I was thinking like, shit, what are we going to talk about? (laughs) But now as we like, there's so much that's unpacking here, like, and I realized, oh, there's so many things to discuss and talk about just because it's fun to talk about these things. I'm so excited. Yeah. This is exciting. It's totally, man, there's so many cans of worms that we could open and go down those rabbit holes. Yeah. Are you ready to go down rabbit holes? (laughs) (laughs) The blue pill or is it the red pill? Well, it's their choice. Yeah. But which one is the one that's the the rabbit pill? The red pill. Yeah. To me, like the blue is more of a rabbit hole color to me. Red is Uh, like, I mean, I see more blues in psychedelics than... Than reds. Yeah. Let me think about that. Actually, I do see a lot of reds. Oh, yeah? But usually red's not very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, am I bleeding? <laughs> yeah, blood. <laughs> yeah. I wonder why they chose red. Maybe it was just arbitrary. Or it was I, like, re- Republican is red, Democrat is blue. Oh. Maybe the Wykowski, was it the Wykowski brothers? The Wykowski, well, now Wykowski sisters. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, Wykowski yeah. sisters. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> There's another rabbit. But they're actually, they're they're being brought to court right now. because. Oh, the, really? Yeah, the script was stolen from this woman, this old uh, African-American woman. Really? Yeah. No kidding. And she has all the documents, and she's winning this court case. Wow. They stole it from her? They, they read her book or something? or. Uh, I didn't read too much of the article, but the idea was, yeah, they, they, she had a script they yeah. gave her or she presented the script to somebody and they just basically read it and then took all the ideas and wow. made a, the similar story. <sighs> made it into one of the most awesome movies. She looks like the Oracle from really? the Matrix. She does. Maybe they, they put, they did that just to, to honor her, to honor her <laughs> cheaply. <laughs> Without, without paying a Which royalty. Is still probably like, you know, a hundred thousand plus dollars for this person. For the actress. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. One of Felix's, for all the listeners, uh, one of his special talents is he can quote The Matrix pretty, actually quite a few movies, but uh, the- <laughs> And Fight Club. And Fight Club. Uh, yeah. And the scene where uh, Morpheus explains to uh, Neo what The Matrix is. You got that down. Maybe one day. One day. I, I, would we be copyrighted by doing that? I don't think so. No? As long as we, we say, say it's who the it Matrix. Is. Yeah. Wachowski uh, sisters. Yeah, we're not showing a clip of it. I think right. that would be pretty shitty if you can't even quote a movie. I think you can quote movies. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. You I'm going to have to look these things up. I don't <laughs> actually. There's a lot we have to learn. <laughs> Copyright laws. <laughs> so... This is uh, an interesting time. So whenever, I don't know when, some people might listen to this in five years and we'll be looking back at the pandemic time. And I wonder, what do you think five years from now will be the general consensus about what this was and what we'll feel about it? I've been thinking a lot about it and I keep going back to Uh 9-11. Not 9-11 in the sense of the event, but the impact. Um, just watching how people are interacting with this, this whole idea of global lockdown. It's not necessarily the pandemic itself that I'm, I'm talking about, but the actual, how people are interacting with it. 
which I think will leave the biggest impact. Like, man, do you remember being locked into your home? Mm. Like where you can't go outside without a mask? Like, mm. what was that? You know, I think about the Spanish flu. And uh, I remember that one, man. Whew. I was just a baby, but. But even then that there was no, nobody was wearing masks and yeah. it was very different. Uh-huh. This, the way that we've been interacting with this virus has been very unique. Uh-huh. And not to go too down, down into the darkness of it, but to really shine a light on how beautiful it is. Like it's brought inspiration into our lives to change something uh-huh. either on a personal level or on a communal level or, you know, globally. Mm-hmm. And I think it, this is what really sparked this idea of the it, podcast. Totally. This and podcast is the result of that. So I, I hope in, in five years or 10 years or whatever, when we look back, we look back at this crossroads of we had a choice to fall into this fear pit mm-hmm. or to actually change ourselves. Yeah. That's, I'm just looking at it from a very like mental, emotional, just because that's what I've been facing personally throughout mm-hmm. the day to day is like seeing how this is affecting me and my life personally. I mean, because we're isolating ourselves to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, we are sitting six feet apart. Or yeah, so. we're sitting. Six, yeah. Hey, man. Social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> so if you listen to this five years from now, we, we actually have social distanced from each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think if anything, this has forced so many people to stop and actually, you know, this self-isolated prison, so to speak, to actually reflect on themselves. And hopefully it's it's brought us into a transition of, I need to change for the better. But there's also like, I see my lazy side that wants to sit on the couch and eat bags and bags of Doritos, you know? So it's really, it's it's been an interesting reflection for me personally, but... Globally, I I don't know. I don't know what the impacts because we haven't got through it. Yeah, there's still so much to come. Yeah, yeah. I find like every every moment of every day, I'm faced with a choice to either get super freaked out and go down the fear rabbit hole, and that pretty much happens if I just uh, open the news app on my phone, Oof. which I've pretty much stopped doing. Because that's one thing. This, I mean, I've I'd already kind of seen this and been aware of it it's just the nature of media and most like mainstream news pretty much any news that's going to be fed into the news app on my iphone uh it's just fear man pure fear pure fear there's not a single i mean there are little stories and i like that apple has this little like good news section in the news i didn't know they had that yeah you got to scroll down for at least for me it appears (laughs) like down there somewhere it's at the bottom of yeah and like so you know, when I was, uh, when this first kicked off in late March and I was stranded in Africa, like I, I, uh, remember just, I was so scared. This was like the end of the, the end of the world and I was going to be stuck there and I was going to (laughs) die. I like went to the extreme of fear. Uh, and I was just desperately like searching for like some good news. Like give me some, some hope. And it just wasn't there except for the good, I found the little good news section where they'd be like, um, this country's pandemic response has really worked or this 102 year old, uh, Spanish flu survivor just survived COVID. Like, great. Like that's the shit I want to hear about because, um, 
you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anyone that's died from this. Uh, but I wonder if some people's, and I'm not a doctor, obviously, but if like this fear response is contributing to how people's bodies and immune systems respond mm -hmm. to this virus. And like, I noticed for myself, like if I'm in a serious fear state, it activates my body into this fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, I'm not a scientist or a doctor, but I'm aware that when the body's in a fight or flight response, it pretty much uh, sends all of its energy and resources to that basically for us to be able to run away or fight off an immediate threat. And uh, I found that these news stories were triggering that, even though it actually technically wasn't mm -hmm. an immediate threat. Mm -hmm. And if all my body's energy and resources are going towards that, then it's not going to my immune system right. or to my digestive system or to the things that, that keep me healthy. And I just find, you know, it, it, it got to, once I kind of got used to it. I just started getting really pissed off about it, actually. Like, this is a terrible way to respond to this. Agreed. And and then I was like, well, who am I pissed at? Like, humanity at large? <laughs> because it's human beings that are made, putting these stories out there, and it's human beings that are reading them. But, but fear sells. That, that's exactly why those stories are there. It's yeah. just, uh, a, you know, for stories I read on my iPhone, it's every time I click to open that story, that that sells. That's money, mm -hmm. uh, and same with you know CNN, Fox News. Like they're selling advertising, and they know their ratings, mm -hmm. and they know what their audience is drawn to. And so, you know, it's like a natural human response. Like fear sells, uh, but I don't know. I'm clicking. I'm looking for those good stories. Those are the ones I'm clicking on. Is the good news stories. So right. I think that like good news and light, light sells too. Maybe we should explore that. Like, but you have to have that mindset that because it's like you can eat and eat and eat fear all day, which I watch, you know, with my family back oh, home. So delicious. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you can consume hours and hours of media of, you know, fear. Like, even this thing with Minnesota right now, um, where basically a police officer kneeled on an African American guy's neck and killed him. And the whole city is just up in arms right now. They burnt a target down. Really? Oh, see, I'm not following any news. It's pretty wow. intense. But it sells. It grabbed me. Yeah. I'm not saying that I don't feel compassion for that, but it grabbed me. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I, I do want to find good, positive things, but it's even on my feed for YouTube, I'm finding the good things are so few and far between. And I actually have to look for them and I have to sift through things more and more now. Yeah. So what's popular is fear. I mean, the horror movies are great. People love them. They're not great. They're horrible, <laughs> but that's a perspe personal perspective. Them, <laughs> they're horrible, but you know, they sell, they make really good money. People like to be afraid. That's why we go to theme parks to be scared on roller coasters. Like, mm. These are things I don't like to do to myself. Why do you think it sells? Well, it's an adrenaline rush. It, it does give you dopamine within the fear response as well, but it's a stressor. And it's like, you know, a lot of people who do skydiving and all these things that are that bring them close to death, that's their adrenaline junkies. You become yeah. a junkie of this this release. I remember when I was in the depths of depression, before I'd really explored uh, addressing it in any way. Like I was drawn to those, to bad news. Mm -hmm. 
I think partly because maybe because it pulled me out of my own misery right, and gave me something to blame it on or to distract me from it. It activated something mm-hmm. in me. And even in the depths of my despair, part of me even got excited when bad shit was happening right. in the world. I was like, oh yeah. Like, I, the, like, I mean, I have to admit it. Like when I was really suffering, there was a part of me that emerged sometimes and it wasn't always there that wanted others to suffer too, like to just commiserate with me, you know? Well, misery loves company. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. I was trying to think of that one. But, but yeah, that's, that was true. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I wonder if, you know, that's maybe the general state of our culture and society at large. I think a lot of people are suffering and maybe drawn to that fear-based mentality and news for the same reasons that I was at that point in time. And I've never really thought of it like that, but yeah, it makes sense. Like why, why should they be happy if I'm happy? Why, yeah. why I don't want to see this person's life as good. I want to see their life as bad. That's why we watch drama. I shows. don't want to be the only one suffering. Right. Or also like I, I, I think the, the wanting to f- blame the, the suffering too. Like mm-hmm. I want to find a reason for my suffering. Uh, I don't want to take responsibility. I want to blame it on the world. I want to blame it on the president. I want to blame it on this and that and that and that. Mm. And uh, that was my natural response. And mm. it, my own journey has led me for my experience to realize that uh, the way out, I'm not out of suffering completely, but the way through a lot of it was to take responsibility for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, uh, and so now me taking responsibility for it, I'm learning involves me being very careful what I consume with media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just not reading those stories because I'll go through headlines sometimes. Like, you know, I, I, I want to stay current in terms of like how this is going to impact me. Like I want to be able to visit my family in the States. Right. My wife being from, from Poland, like we want to be able to go there. We don't know when. So like just staying informed. Yeah staying informed with like the local policies that are being implemented and all these rules and different fines. You get fined if you're not wearing a mask and if you're, if you're, it's insane. It's insane. Uh, So yeah, staying current, but also the realization that like, I have a lot of compassion. I, I do uh, for suffering (laughs) because I've suffered Mm. also realizing spending my day hearing about the suffering of the world Mm. that, that I and not in a position to immediately do anything about isn't helpful for anybody. No, uh, I, I don't know. Except you know, I'm, well, you're feeding. You're feeding the same thing. It's it's trying to get you to feed. Yeah, you're becoming more afraid, and you're putting stress around your environment. You know, by being in this mindset of oh, it may be over. You know, this is the end, or whatever, whatever the fear story is. Yeah. And so, of course, that's going to spin and spread to the people around you. It's it's nothing. Yeah. So it's perpetuating itself. So it does. These fear-based narratives that we read on our phones or on, we see on TV, if we watch them, that becomes our reality. And because we're in this together as human beings, we share that reality with others just by bringing that to the table at the dinner table. What's the conversation? What, what am I going to talk about if I've spent the day watching fucking fear pardon my language but just fear stories all day virus then that's what i'm gonna talk about yeah it is a virus isn't it yeah and so it's like the matrix man we just gotta turn it off (laughs) yeah it's like the matrix but i I, what you've touched on is you know the importance of what we focus on 
becomes a reality. That's that's a huge rabbit hole to actually start playing with. It's more than just like a concept. It's more than, it's a reality. And it's something that you and I have both experienced on very real levels. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's something that I I play around with. Like there's times where I'm like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to listen to something that's a bit, you know, heavy metal, whatever, or gangster rap. And then I, I notice my mindset after I listen to a lot of like Biggie Smalls. Or, you know, <laughs> I, I, by the way, we're both big fans of yeah, we love hip hop. Hip hop. And then also tapping into these lighter sides of seeing and listening to things that that actually bring me joy, that bring me inspiration, that bring me yeah. And then I want to spread that. I want to share that because I become excited about it. And same thing with fear is like you actually become excited about fear. Oh man, did you hear how terrible it's going to be? Yeah, you want to talk about it. Yeah. You want to gossip oh, about it. Oh my God, we're all going to die? Like this yeah. virus latches to your lungs and you're going to not be. It's like, it's such a weird verbal virus Yeah, that spreads in such a unique way. And for all of you who are listening right now, like whatever timeline you're listening on, basically right now in Peru, we have no idea when international flights will open. Yeah. We're, it's looking like next year. It's looking like next year. So we've almost been in quarantine for two months, two over months. two months. Now. Yeah, almost three months. Yeah, and and there's still every time there's a a timeline, it extends. It's like so we live in this this big uncertainty bubble, which is why where where I said you know if I look back five years, I'm gonna look at this big uncertainty that I faced and did I do anything for myself in that? Mm-hmm. Because I I could totally panic and be like man this is the end i was a huge fan just like you like my my big thing was conspiracy theories and like going down these strange rabbit holes about government doing this and the illuminati illuminati doing other things and blah 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 blah. (laughs) excuse me and it was dark and it was terrifying because what i always ended up at the very bottom of that hole was we're fucked excuse Mm -hmm. my language but Mm -hmm. we're fucked there's nothing we can do. There's a super intelligent, magical, powerful yeah. cabal that can destroy the world. That's disempowering. It's so disempowering. Yeah. That doesn't mean that there aren't real conspiracies. But if I keep following, it's the same thing like you said, Al, was the, you know, what am I going to do about a global pandemic? Mm-hmm. How, how am I actually going to change something in that? You yeah. can't. Yeah. The best thing we can do is just live our lives in a good way and notice how we as individuals respond to it and uh whether fear or not (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. i mean the conspiracy theories is a whole nother rabbit hole but to to me it's just an it's another aspect of that addiction to fear Mm -hmm. and you know i find i'm i i had a phase in my life of being quite conspiracy theory oriented Mm -hmm. now i'm kind of completely i mean i'm i don't doubt there are conspiracies but i have no idea and i'm not going to try to pretend what they are Uh, but in my life when i was in that phase um looking back at it it was really a way for me again to uh project all of my own suffering and give it uh, give an excuse to it a reason disempowering myself because some hidden group is in charge therefore it's not my fault that what I perceive as my life as sucking sucks. And it's because of this, that I'm not in control. 
Hmm. It's these, this hidden group, you know, maybe that exists, maybe not, but I've learned that regardless of who's, you know, in quote unquote, in positions of power in the world, which to me is actually totally illusory. They don't have any power over me that, that I don't choose to give them. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, yeah, it's, again, it just comes back to taking responsibility and I don't know who's running the world. <laughs> I know who's running my world, at least but, for but the can mo- you as ever far know? as I can, can you ever know. <laughs> and I can say, I, I believe I run, I'm in control and charge of my own life and how right. I perceive life and the story I tell myself about the meaning of life and what it is. And a conspiracy person might say, yeah, but you don't know. Uh, there's subtle ways that they're getting into your mind through advertising and all this stuff. And maybe that's true. I don't know. But I feel pretty free when it comes to, actually, I feel completely free when it comes to how I choose to interpret what happens in my day-to-day life. And I can either choose to be a victim of what's happening in my day-to-day life, or I can choose to be a student. And I choose to be a student and like, well, when I remember, I definitely go into victim mode sometimes. I like the victim student. That yeah, was victim really cool. student. I like that. Yeah, that yeah. just came to me just now. Huh. Uh, like a student, and so that if something shitty happens, um, a victim will just say, uh, like, this sucks and I can't do anything about it. Whereas a student will say, oh, this sucks and thank you for the lesson. What can I learn from this and how mm. can I grow from this? And like to me that's a that's a story that I give my life. It's a meaning that I choose because I don't think it's possible for me to be able to know any ultimate meaning of life. In fact, there might not be any, but I have to choose one. And choosing to be the student uh, makes every challenge worthwhile because it's like here's a lesson, here's a lesson, here's a lesson, here's a le- everything's a lesson. Yeah, and you always keep learning. You just keep learning no matter what it is. No yeah. matter what it is. Well, I think with the the conspiracy, you know, on that tangent, it's like with the the world is flat. Uh-huh. Now, how could you or I ever determine whether it's flat or not? We don't. We don't. Yeah. We're not astronauts. We, we, we can only go on someone else's. But, so I get. I get why they go there. But here's the mind fuck. Yeah. You know, you're in this this trap of being like, no, it's flat because it looks flat, and and then the other person is. It's just. We get into these arguments about words, about ideas, about a, a, a possible theory, which is what science is yeah. until we figure it out. So, I mean, with conspiracy theories, I just, I enjoy them. They're fun. They are. They're, they're fun, fun mental candy. Mind exercises. Yeah. yeah, mental candy. That's a good one. But I don't, I, I recognize when I hit that trap of, wait a minute, how do I really know? Oh, because this guy wrote that. How does this guy know? Oh, he doesn't. Yeah, you know, there's you. If you just keep following where it came from and where it came from, you you really ultimately, you're never gonna figure out whether it's real or not. No, that's why they're so far out. Some of them, like you know, lizard people or whatever. It's- <laughs> I think flat Earth is pretty far out, but uh, there was a time where I, I considered it just as a mental exercise that yes, it's true mm. that I, Alan, can't personally prove that the Earth is round. Perfect. I, that's true. You've just solved the theory. And I think that's, yeah. I think that's like all this stuff is coming up now because we're just saturated with information now. Mm-hmm. And so people are starting to question what they can even trust. Right. Because when everybody's throwing information at you, it's like, 
What can I believe? What can I trust? Well, it's any flavor you want. Any flavor you want. Yeah. My rule of thumb for conspiracies is like, the more people it would take to uphold that conspiracy without me knowing about it, the less likely I am to believe it. So like with Flat Earth, like that would require a huge operation, I think, to keep us blind to the fact that the Earth is actually flat. Also with Flat Earth, it just makes sense to me on a, I'm not a scientist, but that the Earth is round. It just makes sense based on looking at patterns in nature. And other planets in our solar system. Yeah, and just like, well, if you're a flat earther, like those are painted. Oh, that's right, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But yeah. (laughs) I like how we've gotten all the way to flat earth. Well, you know, when I read the media now, like when I read stories on my phone, like there's always this part of me that's like, I don't know if I should trust that. I don't know if that's true. Like, do they have an agenda? Which is healthy. Their agenda is to sell stories. Like that's right. a, that's an open agenda. But but I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's healthy, healthy to, to question, question it. Yeah. Sure. Um, but like previous generations, like uh, you know, our parents and generations before that, have a pretty strong trust, at least from what I've seen, of mainstream media. Because I think that there was a time when it was legit. When those were, they were legitimately yeah. reporting without an. It wasn't like a. a they weren't corporatized, I don't think, as much. Yeah, yeah. And, and now you don't just get pure journalism. Right. You, you get editorialism. You get, they're telling, they're giving facts tinged with their opinion and their right. view based on which audience they're, whether they're Democrat or Republican. Or which is ultimately a form of manipulation, so that can, of course, create mistrust. I mean, it's... Totally. You know, and I think what the best news would be would just be a camera looking at a situation and you make up your own mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like a no commentary. No commentary. You know, yeah, I remember there was a cable news channel. It was Euro News. Maybe it's when I lived in Europe, but and they had these no commentary segments. Really? Yeah, and it would just be like 2 minutes of just a camera on a on a scene of like some event happening whether it's a protest or something. And and it was just the the caption was just no comment. And you just watch it. We need more of that. That that's true. Or just like I think there's space for like really pure reporting. Right. This is what is happening. You know, uh, so-and-so said so-and-so to so-and-so and so-and-so said so-and-so back to so-and-so and so-and-so did so-and-so and so-and-so did so-and-so in response right. and just leave it at that. Right. And then we can come up with our... With with video evidence because I think a big part of our modern age is we need that evidence evidential proof yeah but that's, that's getting scary right deep fakes now oh, they can alter goodness. the video like Woo, another now we, now we can't even <laughs> yeah there's another rabbit can't hole. even record our faces what if we name the podcast rabbit holes i like rabbit holes yeah is that, i mean does that clearly define what we're what our theme well I've, i feel like you know, even when we were discussing the the podcast, we we're like, "Well, anytime we chat, we go down rabbit holes, man." Yeah, rabbit holes. That's kind of a cool idea. That's well, a fun one. Yeah, we can sit with that. Yeah, it makes me think of Alice in Wonderland and Matrix at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do they even say the word rabbit holes in Matrix? They do. They do. Yeah. What's the quote? Um, tumbling down the rabbit hole, huh? Oh, which is a reference to Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Uh, that's when he walks into the room to meet Morpheus for the first time. Uh-huh. He goes, I bet you're feeling a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. Huh? Oh, so. wow. Yeah, cool. <laughs> you know, the first, I remember in, 
it was maybe a year or two after the matrix came out there was i was at a bookstore back when bookstores existed uh and there was a book called the matrix and philosophy and it was really? basically yeah this writer just like looked at all the themes of the matrix matrix and then compared it to like you know, classical Greek philosophy and different philosophers and what they were wow. saying about reality and all this stuff. It was really well in the in the movie when the book that Neo picks up to hand the program. Oh yeah, to the guy, what was that book? Simulacra and simulation. Simula- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember when I saw that because I looked for those details in movies. I immediately like tried to figure out what that book was. I mean, if okay, we're it's it's Alan. Is, no, it's a it's a French philosopher. It's a French philosopher. Yeah. yeah, talking about simulation theory. Yeah, which is. I'm, that's a whole other rabbit oh, hole. Yeah. But the whole, the, the entirety of the Matrix is set up in a very interesting way. Like the fact that Neo lives at 101. Oh, yeah, which is a binary code, right? Like, Yeah, it's binary code, but it's also like, even if you tie it into like Kabbalistic theory, it's like, it's Earth, it's Malkuth, it's the very bottom, it's the this world. That's what 101 signifies? That's what 108. Oh, wow. So it's, there's, there's a, lot a lot of, of symbolism. There's so much symbolism in it. So I could see why somebody would create a book. Hopefully they, they note all those things as well. You know, I, I believe a lot of filmmakers and artists who are really dedicated to their work, they'll, they'll put all these symbols in because that's, they're artists. They know. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, and that make yeah, they'll put these... Di- Depth these little like details. layers that, yeah. so that if you watch it 10 times, you're still discovering or 10,000 or 10,000 <laughs> as in your case with the matrix. Yeah. That, that was gladiator for, for me. Gladiator at that age. Like that was like matrix came out in 98, 99. I loved 99, it. Yeah. Uh, but I loved gladiator. I don't know. I just cried. I just loved the redemption. I think it also love those stories. They both came out in 99 or 98. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. It was around the same time. Yeah, I mean, Saf and I were just talking about, my partner and I were just talking about how 99 was such a good year. Oh, yeah. Like, the music that came out that year, the <sighs> book, like, oh, we got to talk about 99. We got it. Well, just music in general. This is a conversation Oof. that uh, my wife and I had last night. We, we've been, le- you were listening to 90s music yesterday. I'm going to be 40 years old, just so everyone knows. Woo-hoo! In about a week. Whoa. <laughs> Crazy. But anyway, we were listening to music and... 80s music 90s music uh and man it was just so good and and when i was in a teenager in the 90s adults that were 40 were saying the same shit like oh your music today sucks but i do feel there's a difference now in that music now at least a lot of music now especially pop music and rap it's fucking dark oh and it's it's like it to me it's it's like the musical equivalent of ingesting a bunch of Vicodin. It's Man. just like numb and just like ingesting Vicodin. Yeah, there's a group gross. called Suicide Squad or Suicide Boys, uh-huh. and it's, the things they talk about—they talk about demons, the devil, like killing themselves—and it's just it's so dark. Yeah, it's a lot. All this Tyler, stuff. the creator. I don't know if you listen to any of his stuff. It's like it's a lot about raping women. And like yeah. murdering people, and it's like okay, sure. If we go back in time and listen to like Biggie Smalls, there's there's that, that element, that but it but it wasn't the, it didn't it, have the same like no. There it was almost they didn't mean it almost or they did I don't know it was, it was like being hard. But even if you go back earlier than that, because yeah, that 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 era of Biggie and Tupac, like yeah, there's a big there's a beginning of like some violent music, of you course. know, and yeah, there was black metal music and all that, but. But there's something about the quality of music now 
and it it's not anything against artists that create that music now. I think that they're just purely reflecting their experience and what's going on in the culture. I just think that uh, there's a total desensit people are completely desensitized and like rapping about the most disgusting shit, horrible things is the only way to I don't know get to attention. Touch and people have a feel a lot of pain and darkness and well, even movies now. I, there's some films that I watch now and like back in the day when I watched movies, I was like, I understand that this violence is fake to a degree. Yeah. Now I watch movies and they can make it look so real. Yeah. I'm thinking of the movie Logan, which was about uh, Wolverine. There's a scene in there where he stabs somebody in the brain and the way that person's body reacts and everything was so realistic it's like we want to get as close to being as real as possible without being real. Yeah. So we have to like keep pushing the boundary of like how terrible, how close yeah. we can bring you to the actual violence itself. Yeah. Yeah, it's strange. Maybe it's also to do. I I think our collective attention span is shit now. Yeah. Mine included. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. Today I was like, huh, I wonder if there's there's a way to reverse that. There is. Uh, I just think it takes like dedication like pushing through and meditation meditation yeah yeah or just like reading you know i'll read now and i'll notice after a page my mind is going somewhere else right and this is on as an aside but i'm like doing this training now called it's called fearless warrior training huh by this guy leo who created zen habit zen habits blog anyway the training is all about noticing uh that moment where we want to distract and basically underlying that one one need to distract from doing something meaningful like learn something or uh, make it a podcast make a podcast anything like that Un- underlying that is actually uh an un- a f- an in a discomfort with uncertainty hmm. that basically cuz if i sit down and i'm going to i want to you know create a website which i'm trying to do right now uh, I'll find myself distracting, like wanting to, uh, oh, you know what, I'll tidy up my desk now and I'll make a to-do list and I'll do all this other stuff. And it's really like underlying it is, you know, it's 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 Zen teachings through meditation. It's a realization that we naturally have a hard time being with the uncertainty of life because nothing is certain. And so it's it's, the training is really about just noticing those moments breathing through them and actually like opening up to and embracing the uncertainty and continuing to do the work. That's amazing. What what was the name of this program? Uh, It's it's Fearless Warrior. Yeah. It's called Fearless Warrior Training. And uh, I heard about the guy through uh, Sam Harris, who has a meditation app. The guy's name is Leo Babauta. I think you pronounce it. And it's a training that you can sign up for. And it's really cool. It's like a community and you you get in groups and you hold each other accountable to like do th- your meaningful work. So yeah, this like was another body. motivation for me to like to get started with this even, you know? Uh, yeah. Because I realized like I lost my job, you know, two months ago and, uh, and I just felt this like need to do something and like I need to create something and, you know, for my own just fulfillment Mm. also to share also to have an income and provide for a family you know we want to have a kid and and i just noticed that even though that deep desire is there for that 
and now it's it's beyond a deep desire. It's actually a necessity. Like I need right. to create something with my life because right. I don't have this job to depend on anymore. And even with that, I was still unable to like push through and like do it. I kept getting distracted and putting it off. And and uh, so I yeah, I found this is this training is hopefully useful anyway. That's amazing. Yeah, because our attention span sucks. That's garbage. And back to the music, like. <laughs> I, I think also like mu- music and a lot of movies now are trying to cater to the fact that we have shitty attention spans. Mm-hmm. Like YouTube videos, I think the average people watch is like a minute. I don't know. It's it's not the whole video. It's like 40 seconds. Same with like uh, news stories on the yeah. phone. People read the first paragraph or two, whatever. Uh, and so how do you keep people's attention when they don't have an attention span through a three minute song or through a two hour movie? You make it intense. You make it super intense with just really fucked up stories and words and fear and tons of content just yeah. that doesn't even make it yeah, doesn't it have just, to fit together it's just as long as there's content yeah because if you watch movies from the 80s and 90s They're there's slower. a lot of slow yeah, yeah and if you go even further back oh super like movies from the 70s the intro of the movie is like a 10 minute song and it's just people driving in a car to get somewhere i've seen movies like i can't name them but and even like well i'm thinking of old clint eastwood movies um there's so many pauses yeah and those pauses, like when I watch them now, I'm just like, oh my God, now I see why I love this. Yeah. Because there's this intensity in that silent pause. Yeah. Like, there's nothing happening. Retention can yeah, build. They're and- just like staring at each other across the room and it's like, okay, something's going to go down. And you start creating your own story. It's not, it's not, oh, we're going to fill it in. Here's this guy's going to be shot, this shot, boom, the place blows up. It's over. Yeah. It's, it's so much more. There's a lot of unspoken emotions that actually get touched in those older films uh-huh clint eastwood watch some old clint eastwood movies man there's some I, I'm, great pauses i'm making a note of that and it's almost it's like the good the bad and the ugly the good the bad and the ugly is a great one um a few dollars more oh, cool yeah just a fistful of dollars is another one i think it is another one yeah but to have that there's like these spaces where they'll pan onto like a landscape uh-huh and you have this like infinite landscape that you're watching for five, ten minutes. Wow! Can you imagine like a, a modern like no. I can't? I mean, I, I I'm looking at me as a kid trying to watch that movie. I'd probably drive myself nuts. Yeah, I'd probably be really upset. Like, oh my god, like, you'll lose the audience now, I right? Mean, yeah, they don't walk out. They're like, yeah. oh, this is boring. Boring, like because I'm pretty sure they. Yeah. Anyway, there's but that, a- that's what artistic value was. It was capturing mm-hmm. something deeper. Yeah. And this is, we're, we're now going into a place of, we need to stimulate faster. And because we've studied, like, uh, I, I think the science of neuroscience and psychology have, have come a long way. And it's, it almost seems like though those scientific realizations and learnings are coming into art and movies in terms of like, how do you keep people's attention scientifically, like down to how certain scenes and words and Which is scenarios re- react in the brain it's yeah because it, it's just losing it's like it's imper like i like imperfection <laughs> i don't want the movie to be so perfectly stimulating of all my you know brain it chemistry. makes me think of the old star wars mm-hmm. the original star wars where <sighs> they had the figurines yeah. or the 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 models yeah. as a part of part of the film and then they re-updated it, and I think it was... Oh, they turned, like, the bar scene into CGI? Is that... they, t- they turned the bar scene, and all the, the like, the TIE fighters and stuff all became CGI. Uh, so did, uh, 
I want to call him Pizza the Hut, but I'm thinking of Spaceballs. Jabba the, Jabba the Hut. He was perfect in his original form. In his huge, big puppet form. I thought that was the coolest thing yeah. ever. Oh, and then they oh, turned oh, it oh, oh, CGI oh, oh. to yeah. perfect it, and they ruined it. And I yeah. can't find a copy of the old one. Really? Anywhere. Oh, man, it's got to be out there. I've looked and looked. Wow. There's like, there's no, I mean, you can find like clips of it on YouTube, the old puppets and like, yeah. you know, everything they use. But now it's like, people don't want that. But some, but we want that. I want the, I want the old, I want the original. There's got to be a, a lot of people that want Well, you think of art. Even, even like Star Wars, the most popular film of that age, yeah. of that era, that introduction with that massive spaceship flying over the top of the screen. Yeah. You know, that's like a three minute part. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, Star Wars is such a money maker. Yeah. And so any, any reason you can give to re-release the movie and make a bunch of money again. And so they're like, Oh, let's just CGI the whole thing. That's our reason. We'll call it the it Star it. Wars 2020 update, yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it ruins it for me too. I, I, I don't I like care. Imperfection. That imperfection was what made it perfect. And back, and that's the interesting thing though, is like when it came out, I was, wasn't even born when it came out, but when it came out, pretty sure people went and saw it and it looked real to them. It looked, it looked real to me when I watched it. Yeah. In the nineties. Yeah. You know, I was like, that's real. Yeah. <laughs> how did they get into space? It's interesting how our, our like ability to perceive what's real and or not even ability, but like our taste and what's real and what's not. And what's well, been changed. And now like we're raising the bar because we're catching more things that are fake. Mm -hmm. That's why CGI has to get better and better and better. It's like, I watched um, the old Hulk the last night yeah. or last night. And I was looking at the CGI of Hulk and I was like, wow, I really, when I first saw this, I thought this was the best CGI and in now the world. It's, yeah. And now it's like really outdated. <laughs> yeah. That was Terminator two for me. It oh, came out yeah. in 1992. Yeah. I lived in France and my friends and I went to the movie theater and it was it was the movie of the summer, even in France. Like people sitting in the aisles of the theater. What? And I remember it looked it was mind blowing. It looked so real, like when the uh the Terminator, like his nemesis, the more futuristic Terminator would like melt into metal, liquid metal, and then reform. It was so real. And now when I see it, it's like it's actually still pretty cool, but it's so obviously right bad computer right stuff from the 90s but at that time it looked real so like even our ability to perceive what's not doesn't look interesting real. Yeah, that's something i want to really yeah. go down the rabbit yeah. hole on like how did that change like why yeah that's weird yeah it's because i i felt like that with the newer star wars i remember as a kid watching the newer star wars and seeing like jar jar binks and you know their new underwater world and thought that was oh wild. god like that's i was so immersed in yeah. this thing it's terrible it's horrible yeah i watched well, that it character is terrible well i mean jar jar binks is, is, is the biggest awful. mistake in history yeah that's when they lost with, with those three star wars they lost i i after the i didn't I, I couldn't watch the other two i thought they i was bored in there the new ones are jar jar binks ruined it yeah the new ones i haven't even tried either i'm there there's just too much stuff no no i mean <laughs> they, that's exactly we're back to the the beginning of the multitude of choices that have been offered to us for the rainbow of whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's too, there's just too much. There's too many. I can't even watch a movie on Netflix. It takes me four hours to find something I actually want to yeah. watch. Or I'll start something and yeah. I'll stop it because there's gotta be something better. There's always, <laughs> you know what I did watch actually? What's that? Is I watched the whole series of, um, 
The Last Dance, which is about Michael Jordan. Really? In the last years of the Chicago Bulls winning their sixth championship. I gotta watch that. It was cool. You don't even have to be into basketball, but maybe... I'm into Michael Jordan. Yeah, I was so into Michael Jordan. Yeah. And to see this and to see... Like, I didn't know the person, Michael Jordan. I only knew the uh, the the star, the right. enigma on TV. But here you see, like, in his last season in the NBA, they, they had a lot of cameras actually following the team around. You see all these behind-the-scenes moments. Really? And you see this guy and how driven he is and how obsessed with winning he is. Like, one thing he would do was like he would he would look for every reason to to beat somebody right and so he would actually make up stories in his mind about something someone else said even though it might not have been true maybe i'm mis mis elaborating but basically he would just like invent stories to motivate himself to kick ass basically <laughs> he needed fire he needed a reason what well, showed yeah 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 totally so it was it's cool i recommend it What's it called? The it's last, called The Last Dance. The Last Dance. It's on Netflix here. I don't know if it's on Netflix in the States, but here, if you huh. just go on Netflix, it's there. They have Space Jam on there. Space Jam? Do you remember Space Jam? They talk about that in The Last Dance when Do they? they filmed it. Yeah. When they filmed that, he was practicing like a bunch for real basketball while he would film like eight hours a day and then practice well into the night. And he brought in all these NBA players. The guy was like, that's insane. Yeah. Really obsessed. Whole you can still see it. Being. He's still just, yeah. Yeah. Even now he's I mean, Perse he's perfection. Still making great money. Oh yeah. He, I mean, he owns, he owns a team, right? He owns, yeah. I forget which one, but yeah. He, he owns, owns an NBA shoe company and yeah. You know, or shoe brand or whatever. Yeah. And one. Is that his and one? Or he's got like no, Nike Air Jordans or whatever. Jordans. Anyway, well, hey man, uh, we've gotten so down many rabbit holes, <laughs> and we've opened up so many more. So I look forward to the next. Oh my god, this is just what a great beginning. Yeah, podcast number zero zero zero. Yeah, well, I think maybe we could just call it one number call one. One. Well, why not? You know, yeah. it was more than just an intro. You know, so. they're all just one. <laughs> <laughs> There's another rabbit hole. Are we all one? Uh, well, yeah. Awesome, man. I, cool. I love you, dude. I, I love it's you a too, pleasure. Yeah. And, uh, thanks for whoever's listening. I hope, uh, this brought some light, some interest to your day. And yeah. I hope you enjoyed our rabbit holes, no matter where they ended up. Yeah. We're going to go deeper and deeper and deeper down them as we go on. So yeah. you, you'll definitely want to keep tuning in. Yes. We've only scratched the surfaces on many different things. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure we'll scratch many surfaces and some of them we'll dive into. Yeah. We'll keep dancing around. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, cool. I, so now we we sign off. We say we sign off. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And have a beautiful, beautiful day, night, wherever you are. Enjoy your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and don't take it so seriously. And if you feel shitty and you've been reading the news a lot, maybe just don't read it or read some good news. I agree about or that. Or do whatever you want. I don't care. Listen to good music. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. That's that. Ciao. Ciao, ciao.